0: People are just wild about Harry. The Harry in question is poet Harry Baker, my next guest here on Emirates World and just one of the many authors and poets who'll be heading to Dubai in March for the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. When Harry was invited to appear on TED Talks recently, the results were posted on YouTube. To date, his performance has been downloaded by 1.4 million people around the world. It's pretty amazing. Here are just some of the comments from people tuning in. This guy is awesome. I watch this over and over and over again. I can't believe how amazing Harry Baker is. Had me standing up clapping in my own room. Honestly, this guy is pure talent. This guy is a gift to the world. This Harry Baker is an astounding individual. Harry, I think they like you. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> what does it feel like to read comments like that? Um, well, I sort of...
1: I learned to not read the comments too much because if there's a bad one, you sort of get caught up on it. So it's it's really nice that you've only picked the nice ones to read
0: out. (laughs) I have to say they are mostly nice. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, it's it's fascinating because when I started performing, it was the live element that I loved about it. And so you could read out a poem that you've written before, even performed before, and it takes on a new life in that room, in that space. But it meant when I started performing, it was all through word of mouth and so you'd perform to 50 people in a room and maybe one of those people would know about another event and they would tell you about that and so it was a very organic way of doing it and and the concept of a million people hearing it is is almost too much to get your head around and you know someone saying they were clapping in their room is lovely but you don't get that immediate response so it sort of takes on another life and you have to kind of just try and trust that when it's out there people will listen and enjoy it and so yeah I've loved how far it's spread uh, and that people can hear my poems without ever having been in the same country as me or or seen an event live I think that's really exciting.
0: Now you're heading out to Dubai in March for the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature this is your second visit I believe Absolutely. so um, how was it first time around?
1: I loved it I loved it I, even before I'd finished that week I was sort of fingers crossed hoping I'd get invited back I had such a fantastic time. Um, and it was brilliant to be there alongside other poets that I'd sort of studied growing up and other authors who are real heroes and kind of being treated as an equal. And, you know, like like was mentioned, my stuff's gone up on YouTube and been, been really popular there. But it's sort of... I think whatever you do, you have that slight imposter syndrome thinking, do I deserve to be here alongside my heroes? Um, and so it was really lovely to be able to perform to audiences out there and be listened to and and kind of be accepted on those merits. So yeah, I loved it.
0: What were the high spots?
1: Uh, I took part in an event called Desert Stanzas. So we went out into the middle of the desert and I've got a poem about falafel that kind of felt quite apt because they were serving it up there and to kind of get to go on a camel ride just before you read your poems doesn't normally happen in London. Uh, So I love that. I love kind of yeah, it feeling like a a special moment and special experience that everyone was kind of in together.
0: And what were your impressions of Dubai?
1: It was wonderful. I mean, what I loved about it was as well as, you know, doing a few performances, often if I'm on tour or going somewhere for kind of one night at a time, you sort of zoom in and out, get to see the venue and that's it. But to be able to be there for a week and as well as seeing fantastic authors, you know, go on a cultural tour of the old town and get to visit the desert and that kind of thing... I really loved it. So, yeah, I'm excited to come back. I'm, I'm bringing my other half this time so that I can sort of <laughs> share it with someone else. Um, yeah, Who, I who's it. your
0: other half? Introduce uh,
1: us. So, uh, her name's Grace. Um, by then, she'll be my wife. So I need to get used to saying that. Oh, I'm currently engaged. Oh, congratulations. So that's really um, when are you getting married? Uh, in January.
0: Um, Fantastic. So, again,
1: going from sort of cold England to sunny Dubai will be quite a nice, not quite honeymoon, but just after.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, not bad. Absolutely. <laughs> Now, your poems are a wonderful monologue full of witticisms and puns. And I'm going to ask you to recite a poem for us here on Emirates. But let's first find out a little bit more about you. Now, you studied maths at the University of Bristol and simultaneously, in your spare time, you wrote poems. Now, that's a very interesting combination. How did that come about? On the one hand, you're a mathematician. On the other hand, you're almost studying English literature, if you like, and writing poems.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I... I very much got into lyrics and poetry and writing through that kind of live element of it. I used to go to events, whether it was open mics or other things, and really enjoy watching performances. So I'd started writing poems towards the end of my time in high school. And so that was always naturally going to be a thing that I did, whether or not I studied English. And at the time I really loved the side of maths and science that was the sort of problem solving thing. And so I kind of thought, I wanted to study maths to explore that side of it. And also it meant that I could keep poetry as this fun thing on the side and, you know, not have to have my poems marked or, you know, have to do homework on it and that kind of thing. It could just stay as this joyful experiment. Um, And then throughout university, I began doing more and more poetry and less and less maths until, you know, I managed to finish my degree. I'm really proud of that. But by the end, I sort of knew that that poetry was something I wanted to pursue. And you know, it was fantastic, because I was doing maths alongside people who were going off and going into computing or accounting or academia and teaching, and I absolutely respect that, because it's really, really difficult. Um, but I almost felt quite free in those final classes, because I knew that I was just studying maths for the love of it, rather than going into a career in it as well.
0: So you weren't ever tempted to do it the other way around, to to study poetry for your degree and do maths as a sideline? Well, it's
1: interesting. As soon as I finished my degree, I did not touch a maths book for about six months. I felt like I'd, I'd done it as, as much as I could, and I was really happy to have free time to dedicate to this thing that I really loved. And it's only recently sort of two years later I started reading maths books for fun now because poetry is the full-time thing. So I think I really like how there's definitely links between the two for me and it's about making connections and searching for answers but I think they stimulate different parts of your brain. And so I think when I was doing purely maths poetry felt like a really nice escape and now I'm doing mainly poetry. I didn't expect it but maths has started to be it's also my switch the other way around. Yeah.
0: Now we'll talk a little bit more about uh, your activities and also your book which is called The Sunshine Kid in just a minute but I think you piqued a lot of people's curiosity now I'm sure it's high time we had a poem from you so what are Absolutely. you going to
1: give us? Uh, so this poem is called Paper People I like people I'd like some paper people They'd be purple paper people Maybe pop up purple paper people Proper pop up purple paper people How do you prop up Proper pop up purple paper people I hear you cry. Well, I, I'd i probably prop up proper pop up purple paper people with a proper pop up purple people paper clip. But I pre prepare appropriate adhesives as alternatives to cheeky backup tip just in case the paper slipped, because I could build a pop up metropolis. But I wouldn't want to deal with all those paper people politics, paper politicians with their paper thin policies, broken promises of that appropriate apologies. There'd be a little paper me. And a little paper you. And we could watch paper TV and it would all be pay-per-view. We'd see those poppy paper wrappers wrap about the paper package or watch paper people carriers get stuck in paper traffic on the A4 paper. There'd be a paper princess Kate, but we'd all stare at paper Pippa. And we'd all live in fear of Killer Jack the paper ripper because the paper propaganda propagates the people's prejudices. papers printing pictures of those photogenic terrorists. It's a little paper me and a little paper you. And in a pop-up population, people's problems pop up too. There'd be that pompous paper parliament who remained out of touch and who ignored the people's protests about all those paper cuts. And then those peaceful paper protests would get blown to paper pieces by those confetti cannons by the police. And yes, there'd still be paper money. So there'd still be paper greed. And those paper piggy bankers pocketing more than they need, Purchasing the potpourri to pepper the paper properties. Others live in poverty and aren't properly, A proper poor economy where so many are proper poor, But while those needs get ignored, the money goes to big wars. Origami armies unfold plans for paper planes, And we remain imprisoned by our on-paper chains. But the greater shame is that it always seems to stay the same. What changes is who's in power, choosing how to lay the blame, Their naming names. Forgetting these are names of people. Because in the end it all comes down to people. I like people. Because even when the situation is dire, it is only ever people who were able to inspire on a paper. It's hard to see how we all cope. But in the bottom of Pandora's box there's still hope. And I still hope because I believe in people. People like my grandparents. Who every single day since I was born have taken time off their morning to pray for me. That is 8,396 days straight of someone checking I'm okay and that's amazing. People like my aunt who puts plays with prisoners. People who are capable of genuine forgiveness. People like the persecuted Palestinians. People go out of the way to make your life better and expect nothing in return. You see, people have potential to be powerful. Just because the people in power to pretend to be victims you need to succumb to that system. And the paper population is no different. So there's a little paper me and a little paper you. And we could watch paper TV and it would all be pay per view in any pop up population, people's problems pop up to, even if the whole world fell apart. Then we need to still make it through because we're people.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. I enjoyed that so much and I, I really mean that. And I have to ask you, because I saw this particular poem on YouTube, how on earth do you remember it? I can just about get the <laughs> Peter Piper, Peck to Peck, a Pickle Pepper, and that's my limit. How on earth do you? remember that word perfect every time it's
1: yeah it's lots of practice I mean that particular piece it started as those first kind of four to eight lines which was just trying to come up with a fun sort of tongue twister and then a friend of mine read it and really liked the idea and then I kind of took it further and it turned into more of a story Um, so it's partly just the process of writing I'm saying it out loud as I do it to kind of see how it sounds see which direction it feels like it should go in and then Especially that one, it is just practice. I used to kind of see how quickly I could do it to the extent that you couldn't really understand it. So now I have to try and slow down as well. So you can actually hear the words. It's that weird kind of balance.
0: Do you stand in front of the mirror and uh, like
1: you're singing a song? A little bit, a little bit. Maybe not the mirror, but definitely in my room, kind of over and over again until it feels ready to perform in front of other people.
0: Now, forgive me asking, how old are you, Harry? So I'm now 25. 25. And you're. I believe, the youngest World Poetry Slam champion. Absolutely. What's what's that all about? Poetry slams were a format that started in
1: Chicago around 30 years ago. I mean, live poetry performances has been going on for years, but what was sort of special about these events was that each performer was given three minutes or so to read something they've written themselves, and then people in the audience were given scorecards to hold up and vote for their favourite. So initially very daunting, but what it meant was that the emphasis was on the audience and on connecting in the room. And also it stopped the performers from trying to take themselves too seriously because you could perform your heart out and it just kind of depends on who's judging it afterwards. And what I love about slams is you can do the same poem to a different audience and it can be received really well or it can be received badly. And it doesn't mean that it's a good or bad poem. It just means on that day it connected in a different way. Um, And this kind of took off as a subgenre all around the world. These poetry slams now happen... Um, and it's it's sort of a fun gimmick to get people in a room listening to poetry, people who may not normally go to poetry events. Uh, and in that respect, I think it's been really successful. I think if people concentrate more on the competition side of it than the actual writing, you can lose some of that. Um, and so I absolutely loved taking part in these slams when I first started. It was a really good way of getting up on stage and performing. Uh, and now I really like going along and watching, but sort of... I also enjoy not performing in slams because it means you don't have to rush to fit it into three minutes. You can take your time with it. You can kind of tell a few stories with it as well.
0: Now, you obviously love your poetry. Uh, it's an exciting time in your life. You're off to the lit fest. You're getting married, which is great. Um, you also got to earn a living. Is it possible these days to be a poet and make a decent living?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm alive. I'm, I'm glad to say. I can yeah, see that. I um, <laughs> I really love it. I think for me, I was really grateful that I could start writing and performing whilst I was studying, where I had a kind of base for for three or four years, so that I knew that when I graduated, I'd already been doing it for a while. And so it wasn't that I was at a loose end, wondering if I could make a living as a poet, because I was already performing most weekends. And it is a mixture of performances. I do poetry workshops in schools, getting the students to write their own thing, Uh, occasionally there'll be commissions for certain things. So it is very much a bit of this and that, but I absolutely love it. And for me, the most important thing is it still feels exciting and fun. I think if I could make a living from it, but it sucked the fun out of it, I would rather, you know, go back and use the math, do some kind of teaching and then keep this poetry as a fun side project. But at the moment, to be able to put all of my energy into this thing that I love so much is wonderful uh, and really exciting. And so...
0: I'll keep going until it
1: stops feeling like that.
0: And you published your first book called The Sunshine Kid. Yes. Which is out now. Is that just a, a compendium of all your poems to date? Yeah, so
1: that... Part of the process of doing that, again, because I'd mainly written things to be performed, putting them down on the page felt like a very different project. And my brother is a graphic designer, so he did all of the design for it. Amazing illustrations and kind of typesetting it out. And part of that was I... Include some of the stories that go with the poems. So it reads almost like an autobiography in between poems as well, because I think for me, so much of performing is being able to give the poems context and and kind of present them in a certain way. So I really loved that in the book, I should, you know, I could try and get some of my personality in there as well, and so explain how the poems came about and a few of the stories in between. Um, and I really loved doing that. And also, it felt like it gave new life to some old poems and. Other poems, you had to sort of work out how to how to put it on the page. And also things like the Paper People poem, I'm, I'm aware I go quite fast, so people are able to <laughs> kind of, you know, read through it at their own pace. Yeah. And I love it. I've, I've been to a few schools where some of the students have sort of tried to recite the, the fast bits back to me, you know, like tongue twisters. And it's really fun that other people can take the poems and kind of, you know, do what they want with them as well.
0: Now, I love the fact that, you and I both like puns one of my favourites from many years back is if a swan has a swan song does a baby swan have a signature tune <laughs> what are your, what, what your favourites
1: I, I just remember this when I um, do performances in schools. there'll be a kind of question and answer session and afterwards one of the students asked what's your favourite joke and it sort of put so much pressure on it because if that's not funny then I did it and the only one I could think of was um, I spilt some Moroccan stew on my trousers so I had to switch to jeans <laughs> and I was performing somewhere and also considering these are like 10 year olds not a lot of them had kind of tagine in their daily diet so it was just an absolute room full of silence and then me trying to explain what a tagine was to a, to a group of 9 year olds so it's partly about context um, but yeah I love puns I love coming across them and then it's sort of deciding whether or not you can fit it into a poem and you know, retain some poignancy or just be ridiculous and try and be silly with it.
0: Well, it's been great talking to you, Harry, and I'm sure a lot of people will look forward to meeting you in person in Dubai, uh, first week of March. Do you want to um, just finish off with uh, another of your poems?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I'll do one with some puns in it. Well, I'll I'll just do a verse maybe. There's a song by Ed Sheeran called A Team, and in it, it has the line, It's too cold outside for angels to fly and I thought that sounded a lot like, it's too cold outside for angel delight, which was sort of one of my favorite kind of puddings growing up. And again, I've since learned that this is quite a UK centric thing, but sort of imagine this weird yogurty based dessert, if you, if you are listening to this. And so I rewrote some of the song and just tried to fit as many dessert themes into it as I could. Um, so this is, this is one of the verses from that. A recipe for disaster. No amount of sugar could cast a spell to glaze over the cracks. Relationship got sticky like a flapjack, meringue, but you never rang back. You took a slice out my heart like a pie chart. This vianetta vendetta's tearing us apart. So yes, I scream ed she ran out the cart door. Why are you being such a tart? For you're taking the biscuit. We need to banana split. Now I'm a single cream, no longer whipped. I'm an apple turnover, a new leaf. This got petty like faloo so you know what, Eclair? I'm going to desert you. So I'm putting you in your place. You'll get your just desserts. This is a trifling case where I guess justice hurts. Some tiramisu you to get custody. It's Pavlova. You're muffin to me.
0: <laughs> Excellent. I counted so. 37 puns in there. <laughs> Brilliant. So,
1: yeah. Ridiculous, but fun.
0: Thank you so much for being our guest today here on Emirates World and uh, look forward to catching up with you again in Dubai in March. Absolutely, uh, I can't wait. uh, At the Lit Fest. Fantastic.